are listening to the Classic Sermons Podcast from PreachTheBible.org, a ministry of North Valley Baptist Church in Santa Clara, California. You will hear fervent, old-fashioned revival sermons from great preachers of the past. It is our desire that you will be helped by this gospel message. We'll turn to Revelation chapter 3, please. Revelation chapter 3. I'll read the story of the message to the church of the Laodiceans, and I pray that God will speak to all of our hearts together. Somebody said, don't you think it a strange thing to turn to preach to a lot of Christians, Christian workers, the best Christians in the churches, pastors of churches, and speak to them on the sin of lukewarmness, uh, speak to them on the sin that makes God sick, that makes God vomit, and then I answer back, no, I need it, so maybe somebody else needs it too. I know I need this, and I believe that preachers need help on this matter as well as anybody else, just as I do as, and other preachers would. So let's pray that God will speak to our hearts. Revelation chapter 3, begin with verse 14. Unto the angel, or messenger, or pastor, of the church of the Laodiceans, write, These things says the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. I know thy works, that thou art neither cold nor hot. I would thou wert cold or hot. So then, because thou art lukewarm, and neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth. Because thou sayest, I am rich, and increased with goods, and have need of nothing. And knowest not that thou art wretched, and miserable, and poor, and blind, and naked. I counsel thee to buy me gold tried in the fire, that thou mayest be rich. O God, if we'll get the gold tonight, the gold of the power of the Holy Spirit, and the white raiment, that thou mayest be clothed, the righteousness that God gives a Christian who waits on him. And the shame of thy nakedness do not appear. And anoint thine eyes with thy salve, that thou mayest see a vision, a vision of lost souls. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten, be zealous therefore and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. Jesus knocking at the heart's door of church members here, as well as lost people. I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come in to him and will sup with him and he with me. Here we have a message. Here there are seven such in Revelation chapter 2 and chapter 3, seven messages to churches. This is a message to church. And that leads me to say by way of introduction, startling as it may seem, what is wrong with this world is in the churches, not in the world. Oh, they say the wickedness that's in the world. Yes, I know. Who say, well, the churches, you can't get sinners to church. And I hear preachers talking about how wicked New York City is to people that have never been around New York City. I hear preachers telling about how wicked Los Angeles is, but you don't know it, maybe you don't, are not impressed with it, but the people in your community are wicked too. And you better preach to the people that you're preaching to instead of about somebody that will never hear you. You know, people give the finest testimony for Jesus down at church on prayer meeting time for a bunch of old saints that don't need it. But out where it would do some good for you to say, Jesus Christ saved me, and I love him, and I want to tell you about it. Now, if somebody do some good, you don't say a word. You shut your chops and go on and clam up. I'm just saying that this is a message for church people, and we'd better hear it now. What's wrong with the world is not with the sinner. Primarily, it's with the saints. I know that sinners are dead in trespasses and in sins, but don't blame them. Blame people that have no power. They blame the kinfolks that are saved. Blame the churches around about them that don't have any Holy Ghost revivals. Blame the preachers that some way cannot make men tremble anymore, like Felix trembled before Paul. 
Blame, I say, the church members. No power, no anointing from God, no weeping over sinners, no nights of prayer, no power of the Holy Ghost, nor any teaching about the power of the Holy Spirit. I say, blame the Christian people. This is a message to the churches. Somebody said, we can have a revival now. Yes, we can have a revival. Provided you're willing to begin at the place that needs it and work on the people that are the key to revival. Judgment begins at the house of God, and revival begins at the house of God. God has more trouble getting a Christian fit to win souls than he has getting a sinner saved. It's harder to get somebody ready to do the will of God to reach sinners than it is to get sinners saved. You know, God could have revival on Mount Carmel just as soon as he got Elijah uh, with power enough to pray down the fire. God could have a revival in Nineveh as soon as he got Jonah uh, over his backsliding so he'd go and preach. Uh, by the way, he preached a sermon that was uh, what they call a negative sermon. Mild and modernist wouldn't like Jonah. They've hated Jonah ever since. He preached a negative sermon. He said, Forty days and Nineveh shall be destroyed. But it was God's trouble was not with the Ninevites getting them to repent. God's trouble is getting Jonah to go and preach boldly and condemn sin. Listen, we need to face this point. The church has failed today because of the people in the church, not because difficulties on the outside. If you want to have revival, we must remember, revivals begin with the church. The devil's crowd can't start a revival, and they can't stop one. That depends on the people of God. God's ready, but God has to have some people he can use. This message is to church members. This is to the angel or pastor or leader or messenger of the church of the Laodiceans. Go and tell these people, church members, this message. Now, I want you to notice some things Jesus had to say. It's a remarkable thing. I want you to notice his, uh, his proposition. What Jesus talking about? He must be talking about the drunkards. No, he isn't. No, he isn't. I don't know why he wouldn't. Uh, drunkenness is a terrible sin. The Bible says, the Old Testament says, Wine's a marker, strong drink is raging. Whosoever deceived thereby is not wise. I don't know why he wouldn't talk. Uh, come out strong on drunkenness because Revelation says that outside the gate are drunkards. And in 1 Corinthians 6.10, the Bible says that drunkards shall not inherit the kingdom. But that's not the crowd that Jesus is most concerned about or blocking God's program. It's not the drunkards that keep down revival. Did you know that? He's not talking to the whoremongers and the harlots. Looks like you say, look here, you dirty living people. Look, you people that are so lewd and foul in your life. But he didn't say that. They're not the people that are primarily blocking revival. No. And he didn't say the infidels. He didn't say you're cold as ice. He didn't say you don't believe the Bible. He didn't say you're against God. He didn't say you're enemies of the church. He didn't say that. That's not the crowd that blocks revivals. That's not the reason God can't have his power shown in this country. It's another crowd and another sin. It's a respectable sin of respectable church members. It's a sin, the respectable sin, of nice orthodox preachers, of successful pastors. It's a sin of lukewarmness. Now then, I wouldn't have been surprised if the Lord had jumped on the whoremongers and harlots and the drunkards and the infidels, but that's not what he's jumping on. He says the sin of lukewarmness. And that seems to be the sin that God hates more and the sin that does more harm and blocks the word of God more and stops revival more than any other sins. This is a sin of Christians. It's a sin of respectable Christians. This is not the backslidden Christian that never goes to church. 
This is not the, the Christian that fell into sin like Peter and denied the Lord. Now then doesn't go to church and you've got to look him up and urge him to come. No, no. This is the sin of the Sunday school teachers and the deacons and the elders. This is the sin of the preacher in the pulpit. This is the sin of the best church people everywhere. He said, So then, because thou art lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I spew thee out of my mouth. You know, it's a striking thing. The Lord Jesus didn't have too much hard to say about Zacchaeus, a dirty crook if there ever was, living off of widows and others. He beat them out of money, and he took a lot of the tax money himself under the Roman tax system, the farming out tax system. But Jesus didn't say much bad against Zacchaeus when he came sliding down that tree. And the poor woman that had lived the life of a sinner and fell down at his feet and kissed his feet and wept over his feet, he told her, go and sin no more. He didn't say hard things about her. But oh, how burning are the words of Jesus about all those people so meticulously nice, the Pharisees, that prayed in public and read their Bibles and bought their tithes and kept up the record, all that kind of business. The folks that you'd like so well to have deacons in your church, why, they're the crowd that Jesus spoke with the heat of, uh, Warn you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, how can you escape the damnation of hell? That's the way Jesus talked to people who had the meticulous outward form of religion, but had a cold heart. Now, let me tell you, lukewarmness is a terrible, terrible sin. And God said this sin. Don't you think it's a strange thing? Look, if you will, at the dear Savior. John saw him on the Isle of Patmos. His hair was as white as wool. His eyes were like the shining of the sun, and his garments as white as the light. And John said, I fell at his feet as one dead, and I felt his hand upon my head. And Jesus said, John, write down this message to the churches. Now to the church of Laodiceans, this is what you shall write. And John wrote it down. And now would you think about the dear Savior in heaven in a glorified body, and the Jesus is so disgusted and nauseated he says, it makes me vomit. I can't abide you. I'll vomit you out. What is it, Jesus? It's these half-hearted Christians, these lukewarm Christians, these good Lord, good devil, milk and cider, half in, half out kind of Christians. Jesus said, they make me sick. They are an abomination. Jesus said, they make me sick. I wish you'd stop and think about that for a little bit. Lukewarmness, what a sin. I believe God's called me to take the old gospel pitchfork and heat it in a furnace seven times hotter than Nebuchadnezzar's and go up and down this land and say, Get in and get out! Get off the fence! Mean business or take down your sign. I believe God wants people to decide, I'll be out and out for God. Yes, now, notice this sin that he's talking about is the sin of lukewarmness, the common, ordinary, garden variety of sin that everybody's guilty of, lukewarmness, not cold, not hot. I want you to notice, he didn't say you're a bunch of infidels. No, no, they believed the Bible. He didn't say, well, you don't care about church. No, no, they went to church every Sunday. He didn't say that you never, you never do um, pray about sinners. Oh, they say, yeah, we pray every day. He didn't say that. He didn't say you live outrageous, vile, corrupt, and base uh, uh, life. No, that's not what he said. That wasn't their sin. It was not a coarse sin. It was a refined sin. It was not an outrageous sin. It was a respectable sin. But it makes Jesus sick and nauseated. He says it stinks. It's an abomination. I can't abide you. I'll spew you out because you're not cold. You're not hot. You're just lukewarm. What a sin it is to be half-hearted. Oh, I'll tell you this. I have prayed. 
I could take time to teach the Bible, and God's given me some gift as a teacher, and I've studied the Bible, and I could say, well, let's gather around the Word. You know, I'm called to Bible conferences all the time. I turn most of them down because of such a burden for revival. I do go where I can get to preachers, where I can preach to preachers and so on. But I'm saying, all the time I have a burden about this thing, but... Uh, and, and, and the Lord stirs up my heart to do it. I can do Bible teaching, but today, what you need is not so much to know more Bible, though God knows I want you to get more Bible, but what you need is to get to where you feel what you do know and act on what you know and mean business about what you claim. If we ever get to the point where there's a fire of God in our souls, brother, then we know enough Scripture that we can learn some more. And we, we, can, we can get the rest of the things we need if we get the anointing of God and the fire of God. Oh, God, send the fire upon the people. That's what we need, isn't it? That's what we ought to have. And may God send it. But Pentecost, do you remember that there were tongues like as a fire and it sat upon each of them? Oh, God, send that kind of tongues, the burning tongues to preachers, burning tongues to Christian workers. You know, I think it's a disgrace for people to talk about heaven and not have a holy light in your eye and have a lilt in your voice. I think it's terrible. I think it's an abomination for people to talk about Jesus, the wonderful Jesus. Wonderful, wonderful Jesus. In the heart he implanteth a song. Listen, it's a shame to talk about the wonderful Jesus and not have a lilt in your voice. And preachers that preach about hell and don't tremble and don't weep, God have pity upon us. And preachers who call them in to repair their sins and who have no flash in the eye and no boldness to reprove it. Oh, what will God do with half-hearted preachers and indifferent lukewarm church members? Amen. Well, here's what he said. I'll spew thee out of my mouth. Notice a little further. Jesus said, so then because thou art, I would, he said, thou art cold or hot. I would, thou were cold or hot. What are you saying, Jesus? Jesus said you could be three things. You could be red hot. You could be ice cold. You could be in between. Now, Jesus said, of all things, I, I wish you'd be red hot. But if you're not going to be red hot, skip the lukewarm. Leave that out. I don't want you that. I'd rather be cold if you're not going to be hot. What's the Lord saying? He's saying if you don't mean business, take down your sign. You know what's the matter of our churches these days? We have too many members of the kind we have. There's half in, half out. We're in the church and in the world. We love the church and we love the lodges. A good woman wrote to me and said, Dear Brother Ice, I saw your book advertised, uh, a Lodges Examined by the Bible. She said, I want a copy of that book. I'm sure I'll enjoy it. What could be nicer, my, my Bible and my lodge? She said, I'm sure I'll enjoy it. And please send me the book. I sent her the book, but I never heard from her anymore. <laughs> it was not on the side of the fence she was thinking it was on. Uh, I'm telling Yes, what could be nicer, my Bible and my lodge? What could be nicer? I've got the devil and the Lord both. What could be nicer? I've got my Sunday school and then I've got the movies. What could be nicer? Oh, I can talk nice words and then I can smoke cigarettes too. Oh, I can go to Sunday school and teach a Sunday school class. Then before church service, I go outside and smoke a cigarette and before my boys or my class, then throw it down on the church steps and go back in sanctified now to hear a sermon till I can get out and preach and sing and smoke another one. Amen. I'm just saying this lukewarm, good Lord and good devil, half in, half out, milk and cider kind of religion is an abomination that Jesus despises. He said, if you're not going to be red hot, why well, get cold. Don't stop halfway. Don't stop halfway. You say amen, but I wonder if you mean it. 
I was in revival services, and, and uh, my good friend, uh, way out in the Rocky Mountains, I'll not call his name, a great church, and, and I was called for a month's revival campaign with wonderful crowds and a wonderful revival. He said to me, he said, Brother John, there's a deacon in my church, and he's a good man, but he's after me with his knife all the time. He's talking me down, and he's an influential man. He said, what to do? I said, why don't you go to him and talk to him? He said, I have, again and again. And he said, Brother John, I we should talk to him. Well, I said, wait, what would you want me to tell him? He said, well, whatever you say. And I said, well, I'd tell him this. Uh, the trouble was, the man been a member of the church a long time, thought he owned it, been treasurer of the church, member of the deacons and so on. And so he said, now this pastor is an evangelist, and I don't want an evangelist here, pastor. This business of hooping up all the time, invitation every service, baptizing every Sunday, that's all right, but us old-timers here in the church, he didn't like it used to be, and built this great tabernacle here and all that. He said, and, I, and so I said, I'd tell him what I'd tell him. I'd tell him, now look, the church is called this man. God has blessed his ministry, and it seems obviously of God. Now you get in or get out. I'd say to him, you either come along and uh, and play ball, if you can pray about it, say, Lord, help me to back up the pastor, not be a thorn in the flesh, not be a crook and a and a burden and a, and a splitter. Don't let me be a kicker and a critic. I said, I'd say, Lord, if I can get along with the pastor, help me to do it. If I can't, let me get out and go where my kind of folks are, and I'll be happy. Well, the preacher said, that's right. That's what you tell him. That's right. So I talked to the good deacon, and I said, now here, these people have called the pastor, and you see, don't you see that you have no chance? The majority of the church is for him. He said, I see that. But he said, this business of an invitation, every Sunday morning, every Sunday night, and sometimes Wednesday night, and this business of revivals and, and big crowds and hoop it up, and he said, well, he's an evangelist, he's not a pastor. I said, but the Lord seems to have called him to the church, and all the people say he has, and now what are you going to do, buck everybody else? Well, he said, what ought to do? I said, you ought to pray for God to forgive you for being a troublemaker, and you ought to get along, go along with the preacher if you can. And if you can't do that, you ought to get out and join some church that's having a kind of a dead program you like, and don't be a troublemaker, and so on. Next Wednesday night, he joined another church, joined another church. Now, listen, that's not the end of the story. Then the pastor came to me with a long face and said, Brother John, that man put in $20 every Sunday. <laughs> <laughs> now listen to me oh yes it's alright say everybody ought to get in or get out uh, do you mean that if they put in $20 a Sunday huh huh <laughs> do you mean that well now they're not the same basis my brother did you notice that that's not exactly the same basis but the Lord says I want you cold or hot get in or get out don't be lukewarm uh, it's worse you know I thought very seriously going to the foreign mission field Mrs. Rice and I in Baylor University seriously considered Brazil as a mission field. And I wanted to go, but God didn't let me. I'll tell you the truth is, I've thought how wonderful it would be if I could go to a country and if I was the only Christians they ever saw. My wife and my children and I were the only Christians. And if I said it's wonderful to be a Christian, and I meant it, and I delighted in the Bible and in soul winning, and they'd look at me and say, well, maybe so. But as it is, everywhere I go, I've got people, I've got to drag sinners over the old carcasses of you backslidden church members. I say it's wonderful to be a Christian, but a boy would say if he told me the truth, he'd say my dad didn't make him wonderful. He goes on with chewing tobacco, smoking cigarettes, and stinks just like he did before he saved. He joined in with the dirty lodges, taking blasphemous oaths, 
counting the unconverted men, the brethren, and the promising that to meet them in the Elysian fields of the grand architect of the universe, just the same as you did before you saved. And everywhere I go, I've got to live down and talk down and overcome all the lukewarmness and half-heartedness before I can ever get revival. Listen, I had, I used to have independent revival campaigns. I used to have them. Now in recent years, I've gone with churches and with groups of churches and had them in. But I'll tell you the truth, that's the harder way to have revival, to get all the churches in. I can have revival quicker. I can reach big crowds. I can get as many saved and get them saved quicker if I went alone. But it wasn't as good for the churches. The churches needed my ministry. They needed the new converts. And so I'm going more and more to the churches. But I'll tell you frankly, the churches are a thorn in the flesh. They don't mean business. And you've got to work and cry and pray to get Christians ready before you get the kinfolk saved. I'm just saying that, call your heart, the Lord said. Don't be lukewarm. Get out. If you don't mean to get in, get out. You know, a little girl went to bed at night. And then after a while, she had a bad dream or something, and she fell out of bed. Well, she bumped her head, and she cried, and her mother came and kissed her and soothed her and put her back in bed, and she went to sleep again and was restless and nervous, and she went to sleep, and she fell out of bed again. And uh, so she cried, and the mother said, Now, look here, honey, what do you suppose is the matter? Why are you falling out of bed? And she thought about it a little bit, and she said, I guess it's because I went to sleep too close to where I got in. That's the trouble of too many church members. They went to sleep too close to where they got in. Now, listen now. Lukewarmness is an abomination that hurts the heart of God and disgusts Jesus Christ. And he said, it's an abomination. You make me vomit. I'll spew you out. I cannot abide to Jesus said, you half-hearted church people. God help us to see the shame of it. And then, um, let's see. Uh, let's see. Jesus said, I'll spew you out. What did he mean? What did Jesus mean when he said, I'll spew you out of my mouth? Did he mean I break my promise? I said everlasting life, but I'll just give you life for a little while. No, I don't think he meant that, did he? You say, what did he mean? Well, somebody said, maybe he said, I'll let this old sinner go to hell. I promise to keep him, but I won't keep him. I'll let him be lost. No, it doesn't mean that. What does it mean? I think it means the same as it means in 1 Corinthians 9, 27, where Paul says, I buffet my body this old carnal nature, and bring it into subjection, lest I, after I preach to others, should be a castaway. Oh, he said to be a castaway, thrown away. God couldn't use me. I preached to so many. I've had so many people say, if God say, Paul, I can't use you anymore, that'd break my heart, Paul said. I'd buffet this old body and beat it black and blue, this old carnal nature, and keep it down. I don't want God to cut me out of the ministry. I don't want God to lay me aside and say, can't use me anymore. I know that happens to preachers. I know that happens to church members. I remember and in uh, uh, my brother Bill. You remember that old man Moody, Mooney out at Prescott Church? Uh, remember? And later they moved to Decatur. I was out there in revival services. The first summer I started out as a preacher. I went out there and preached. That old man Mooney sat in front of me. One day I preached on, on let's see, I preached on, on the shelf or on the victory. I preached on those two texts in Corinthians about um, uh, that uh, on this proposition, uh, cast aside, or my grace is sufficient for thee. God's grace, take the weak ones and make them strong if you come to him. But God will lay you aside. And that old man took me after the service, and it got me to the sleeve and led me. And I looked at him and he tried to talk, and he couldn't talk for emotion. And his lips were, were trembling and uh, tears streaming down his face. It led me around behind that old country church house, around there and so old sunflowers and so on. And finally, when he could look at me, put his hands on my shoulder, Bill, you know how I live. 
you know, how it's so hard to win his boys and so on. That old man put his hands on my shoulder and he said, Brother John, I've had lots of preachers come here. And they berated men. They were mean men. I didn't care. I let it go. But you told what's the matter today. He said, God got tired of my fooling a long time ago. He said, I've been truly converted. I know I was saved, but I wouldn't follow the leading of the Lord, and I wouldn't win souls, and I wouldn't control my temper, and I, I went on that way, and God got tired of monkeying to me, and God won't let me do anything anymore. God won't show me how to win anybody. God won't give me any victory. God won't help me. God got tired of monkeying with me. God laid me on the shelf, he said. Oh, he said, I'm going to heaven. I believe I'm saved, but he said, I wish God had used me. I wish God used me to win my boys. I wish God used me, but he won't do it, he said. I've tried and tried, and God got tired of me. And fooling with me and God laid me on the shelf. Now I know that kind of thing happens. I'm thinking right now about a preacher, a graduate of my school, Baylor University, Waco, graduate of Southern Baptist Seminary at Louisville, a man that a uh, Southwide minister is an evangelist, preached a great crowd, had great revivals, had multitudes saved, but he married a wife. This wife was of a pretty well-to-do family and a famous aristocratic family. She liked fur coats. She liked the nice brick homes. She liked to entertain and the style and fashion and so on. She kept nagging at this preacher. The boys coming on, they got to have an education. Other people, my folks all have plenty. Why don't you? And so after a while, in the immediately after World War One, you know, out in West Texas, land prices were low and wheat prices were high. He said, I can get in here and make an estate for myself and my family, have something for my boys, guarantee an education for them. And so he quit preaching for a while and bought land, bought sections of it. He paid it out, some of it, in two years' wheat crop, paid the whole price of the land in some of the time. He worked hard and bought the land. And after a while, when he had consolidated his ownings, now then he said, I'll go back to preaching. And he tried to get preached, but nobody wanted to hear him preach. Some way, something was gone. Something was gone. He came to me and tears running down his face, and I was only a boy preacher, a young preacher. He said, Brother John, help me get a place to preach. I preach at a country church. He'd preached in great revival campaigns in the largest churches in the South. I preach in a country church. I'll take a full-time country pastor, and I'll do anything. Help me to get a church. Well, I, I tried a time or two, but nobody wanted him. Finally did get called to a half-time country church. Then preached down there and preached two or three months and the church had a big row and split wide open and then it was church or the church up and then he was out. And uh, he just couldn't get a place and couldn't be used. Listen, God doesn't want to monkey with you always. I'll spew you out of my mouth of all the sins and I'm a poor example. Oh, but I pray that God will help me that I'll never have an ordinariness about my preaching. I'm well fixed. Listen. I held a revival campaign not long ago in Duluth, Minnesota. The Baptist Church had one of the beautiful, most beautiful buildings, one of the best appointed. The, uh, it was in every way beautiful. Oh, the, the finish of the interior woodwork was of the finest oak and as neatly finished. And every, listen, the nursery and the Sunday school department and the partitions and the seating arrangement and the pipe organ and everything and the kitchen, and the dining room, and the serving equipment, and everything about it. It was wonderful. And I said to the people, I hope you won't be mad at me, but I'll tell you now, you've got three strikes against you nearly. You've got two strikes against you, not much chance to have revival. They said, oh, we've got a wonderful pastor. Brother Brother Samuelson, such a wonderful pastor. I said, you've got such a good pastor, and such a nice church house, 
until you're just about where you don't need God and God's not going to pay you much mind. You know, uh, if you want to have revival, you've got to find some people that are in trouble and in need, then God will help them. These well-satisfied people do not have revival. Thou sayest, I'm rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing. And knowest not thou art poor and wretched and miserable and blind and naked. He said, I counsel you to buy me gold tried in the fire. Your riches are fake riches. You've got the satisfactions of this world, but you don't have what you need. If you're self-satisfied, brother, you're about gone. God can't use people who think too much of themselves and their setup and of their church and so on. You know, I know I grew up as a Baptist, Southern Baptist. I'm a Baptist now. I'm a member of Dr. Lee Robinson's Highland Park Baptist Church, Chattanooga. But I'll tell you the truth. Listen, we used to say, I'm a Baptist born and a Baptist bred, and when I die, I'll be a Baptist dead. I know lots of Baptists could just leave that. When I die out, they're already a Baptist dead. Yes, sir. Now, listen to me. Listen to me. Anytime you get so proud of whether it's a Baptist, Presbyterian, or Methodist, or anything else, that pride is a damnable thing that'll make it so you can't reach God and makes God vomit. To be self-satisfied is mighty bad, mighty bad. Oh, God. You know, I, I was thinking the other day about our colored people, friends. I love the colored people. They're great problems. We have to work them out in prayerfully and kindly. But I was thinking, do you know there's some things that colored people have got the advantage? I go speak to colored high schools. I go meet them. And there's a certain intentness. There's an earnestness about it. You know what? They're the underdogs. They've got to get ready to compete. They've got to learn. They haven't long had the chance at good school buildings and good teaching. They've got to learn. They're determined to do it. And we've got to send our brats to school and they're spoiled and pampered and they nearly run the teachers off. You can't get them to study. And they go mainly for the basketball and the, and the various uh, enterprises and education is a small percentage of interest in the regular schools today. Listen, the people have got the advantage who are the underdogs and they realize they don't have so much the people that are proud and haughty and well-established and rich and satisfied, God doesn't do much for them. God doesn't do much for them. Listen, listen to me. If there's a widow here today, a widow can reach God quicker than a woman with a husband to lean on. Is there a little orphan child here today? Listen, you're dearer to God and God hear your cry before he would. A boy that's got a dad to call on. Did you know that? Listen, preacher, are you out yonder in some little hole? Are you out in a place where you have just a few people and they're poor and they're ignorant and the, and the smart guys look down on you and you don't have much equipment and you have poor country ways maybe and so on? Oh, thank God. Listen, God will listen to you pretty quick just so you realize that you need blessing of the poor in spirit. The proud and the haughty of heart can't have revival, can't have your prayers answered, can't have God's best blessing. If you're self-satisfied, brother, you're in danger of losing the power of God. Oh, if we'd go away from here with a hunger of heart, we'd have revival. I wouldn't care so much whether the fire yet fell. I wouldn't care so much whether it's a big manifestation. If everybody here could get broken hearts and go home and feel so whipped and so burdened and so downcast and so licked until you'd have to have God, I'd say I'd be happy and satisfied. The rest of it would come. I can tell you, brother, God will send the revival if he ever gets people needing revival enough. My son-in-law... Walt Hanford went over in Indiana, second revival effort he ever had. And he'd studied my books and he'd asked me questions and he'd heard me preach and everything he could about it. Went over to have the second revival. 
called me up. He was having a big time. He was having some old drunkard saved and hard old sinner saved. He called me up and he was jubilant. And he said, Dad, listen, I've learned something. What is it, Walt? He said, I've learned if you get men lost enough, you can get them saved. If you get men lost enough, you can get them saved. You see the point? Now listen, unless you can get Christians naked enough, they'll never get the robe of righteousness. Unless you can get Christians far enough, they'll never go to God for the gold that doesn't perish. Unless you can get Christians to realize how blind as a bat they are to sinners going to hell around them everywhere, they won't go to God to get their eyes anointed. Oh, God, at least let us learn here we're blind, and then in due time God will give the anointing. You see what I'm talking about? All right. Self-satisfied Christians not going to get anywhere with God. I pray that God... You say rejoice. You say hallelujahs in the soul. You say songs of the lips. In due time, yes, but not yet. Oh, may God put groans in our hearts. Oh, may God put sleepless heads upon pillars under this old building of these steel uh, roofs tonight. Oh, may people begin to get a holy dissatisfaction, preachers with their ministry, and mothers and fathers with their families, and the Sunday school teachers with the work they've done. If God will break us down and take the starch out so we'll get to feel how poor and weak we are, then the rest of it we can get in due time. But God can't do much for proud and haughty, self-satisfied, rich people. Because I'll say, as I'm rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing. Let me tell you this. <clears throat> did you ever hear anybody say anything bad about John Rice? Maybe he did. Maybe he did. At least, let me tell you one thing. I've got one advantage. I don't have the advantage of having everybody for me. I, I, I mean, I don't have the disadvantage. Brother, let me tell you, I've got a lot on my side. One thing is, I have my heart broken all the time by every kind of criticism, every kind of misunderstanding. I'll tell you one thing, I've got one thing, let me praise God for it. He means it for good. I'll kiss the rod that hurts. I will. I say, thank God there are plenty of enemies. And the plenty of people think I'm a nut and a fool. And plenty of people would a lot rather see me settle down to build some human organization and denomination instead of breaking my heart to bring revival fires everywhere. I say, thank God at least this much, I'm the underdog, and I know I, that I'm misunderstood, and I know that I'm a nobody, and so I have to have Jesus. Thank God at least for that. And I pray that God may break us down so we'll come again to feel our need of God, and of revival, and the power. Thou sayest, I'm rich, now I'm priest with good, have need of nothing. And so God says, I can't abide you, I can't put up with you, I vomit you out. You're not cold, you're not hot, you're lukewarm. Now let us consider some of the matters in which we Christians may be lukewarm. I'm not your judge. I'm not preaching saying, well, I've observed so and so, and out of my observation I'll say, no, no, I'm not preaching out of my observation. I'm preaching out of the Bible what Jesus Christ said, tell the churches. Uh, he says, I know thy works. I don't pretend that I know them, but Jesus said he knew them. And he said to me to preach it, so I'm preaching. Well, somebody says you don't fit me. Okay, you pass it on back to somebody else and pray for us poor sinners that do need it, for I need it, God knows, with it tonight. And so now let's see some of the matters in which we may be lukewarm and which it may be we grieve God and he lays us on the shelf and spews us out of his mouth and vomits us up because he can't put up with the lukewarmness. What are some of these things? Well, first of all, it may be that we're lukewarm about holy living, about righteous living. Don't don't squirm so when I say holy. Don't squirm so when I talk about righteousness. Um, listen, that's still in the Bible, isn't it? 
you read your Bible sometimes, see if it ever says sanctified. See if it ever says holiness to the Lord. See if it ever says anything about righteousness. See if it ever says anything about uh, uh, these matters. Don't misunderstand me. I do not claim, and I don't believe anybody has a right to claim, that the carnal nature is eradicated. Isn't that a nice big mouth-filling word? Yeah, that sounds fine. But it isn't so, brother. It isn't so. I don't claim that. I'm not saying that I have it or that you will have the old nature taken out and sin all done. But I'm saying this. Everybody that loves the Lord Jesus ought to want to be clean. And let him that nameth the name of Christ depart from iniquity. I believe in old-fashioned repentance. I believe part of the trouble of lots of Baptists is they haven't done enough repenting. I say that to my Presbyterian friends and Methodists and others because so many Baptists are here and because I'm a Baptist. If anybody wants to jump on the rest of it, you do it. I'll tend to the Baptists. I'm called to do that. Uh, now listen to me. I'm saying that God wants us to have a, a, a holy concern about holy living. Oh, yes. I'm not making any claim that I'm so good. But I'll tend to this truth. Many and many is the time my heart has cried out to God, Oh, make me clean. I used to sing sometimes for myself. I never could sing it in public much. But I used to sing, Oh, wash me thou without, within, or purge with fire if that must be, no matter how if only sin die out in me, die out in me. And sometimes there's a little Negro spiritual song, and it sounds like a bit of doggerel maybe, and the words, I've even smiled at the words while I sang it, but I meant something in there. I ain't going to grieve my Lord anymore. I ain't going to grieve my Lord anymore. And in my heart I said, Lord, I'm not making that as a promise. I know my frailty. I'm just saying I wish I never did. I don't want to do it, Lord. I wish I never did grieve it at all. I'm just saying maybe the theology of that Negro spiritual song isn't stated in exactly the right words, but it states the longing of my heart whether it states the mature, uh, rational deliberation of my, of my mind or not. It tells what my heart wants about it. And uh, I want us to look forward. I wonder, somebody said, well, Brother Rice, now here, I don't believe in sinless perfection. Well, it, uh, I do believe in it, but I don't practice it. But one day I will, when God changes this old body into the likeness of Jesus' body, then thank God I'll be like him and I'll be clean then. But somebody said, I don't believe in sinless perfection. Well, I wouldn't worry, brother. You're not anywhere close. I just go right along, plugging down the road. And if you get too nearly perfect and sinless, some of us will warn you about it, and you can back up a little bit. But you're really in no danger. You're really in no danger. I wouldn't worry about that if I were you. There's not anybody here that needs really to worry about getting sinless and perfect. You just go right on. Listen to me. Uh, suppose you say, but Brother Rice, I don't agree with my holiness friends. Or I don't agree with my Pentecostal friends. Some groups of Pentecostal people believe in eradication, some do not. Uh, you say, I don't believe in my Wesleyan Methodist friends and Nazarene friends. Well, maybe you don't. But I'll tell you this. I agree in my heart with what their heart wants, at least. Uh, the doctrine, as I see it, is that God does the saving and does the keeping of people that are not fit to save and people that don't deserve keeping. And I didn't earn it to get it and I can't earn it to keep it. And it's only by God's grace that I'm kept out of hell. I said, that's the doctrine. But my heart's cry is, oh God, make me pure and make me clean. I wonder if you're red hot about holy living. You people, I wonder if you're red hot about holy living. All you nice church people with cigarettes in your pocket. 
You know, it's getting pretty bad with these, uh, these nylon shirts. You can see a package of cigarettes through them in your pocket. And I've seen them, some of them around here. And so on. Yes. Yes, you, you're a good Christian, aren't you? And you stink just like the devil's crowd. Yes. Yeah. You're a good Christian, aren't you? I remember once, uh, uh, how many times I've gone to a church and seen outside the church steps all oh, just piles of cigarette bags, cigarette butts of people throwing, going into the house of God and with a stinking breath and with a tainted body then singing praises to God and then hurrying out to light another cigarette. Now, I'm just saying, I believe that when a fellow gets converted, it wouldn't be any harm in him smelling like a Christian. Do you think so? What do you think about the kind of Christianity that changes the way a man lives? Do you think that's all right? Well, what do you think about the kind of Christianity that changes the way a man talks? Is that all right? Well, what do you think about the kind of Christianity that then changes the way a man smells? If you think. Huh? wonder why there are not as many amens on that. <laughs> Now, I'm asking you this. Are you red hot? Uh, you say, oh, I want to do right. Yes or no, but are you red hot about being clean and holy? I wonder. I wonder. Are you red hot about it? There are a lot of good Christians here, and some of you are members of lodges. You, maybe you went into it just as innocently as I did. Some good men said, Brother Ice, we'll pay for your first three degrees in the Masonic Lodge. They said, come on, take the, take the first degrees. We'll pay for them. They said, you'll have more influence. You'll have pull with men. Well, I said, okay, I want influence with men. Some best men I knew were members of lodges, so I went on. I took the editor apprentice degree. They gave me line by line, and I repeated, ungodly, heathen, old sip, no Christian ought to say, and I never would have said it if I'd known ahead of time, but I did. They put a lambskin apron on me and said that when I was buried, that the lodge would have charge of my funeral, and they'd um, march around the grave, they'd do this and that and the other. But my heart cried. But I'm a Christian. When I I'm a preacher of the gospel. When I'm buried, I want somebody to preach the gospel and tell sinners that Jesus died for them. And this man put his trust in Jesus and preached the gospel of Jesus Christ. I want a Christian funeral when I'm buried. And I saw my father, a devout and godly man, a man who'd been a preacher of the gospel, and I saw him there and his crony and buddy in the lodge that stood in his hand and prompted him as he gave me the editor apprentice degree was that dirty, blaspheming, old cousin sinner that mocked at the Bible. Well, in, in, I forgot his initials. His last name was Smith, Bill. You knew yeah. Smith. Cursed all over the cater and laughed at the Bible and my dad's crony in the lodge. And I said, this is a poor place for a Christian. I never went back. I never went back. I asked God to forgive me. I renounced the ungodly oath I took. I left them alone. I'm free from them. I have a right to be free from them. Listen, if you're going to be a Christian, why don't you mean business? Why don't you cut the ties? Why don't you come out and be separate? Out and out. I'm not saying you're not saved. I'm not saying you're not sincere. I'm just doubting whether you're red hot for holy living. I'm just doubting whether you're red hot as long as when God says, Swear not at all! Above all things, brethren, swear not, the scripture says. And yet you take those bloody oaths and bind yourself as a brother to unconverted men to serve them or to buy from them, help them in the business, to defend them when they're on trial and so on. And you bind yourself to tell secrets to them that you don't tell your wife or your pastor. I'm just saying now, I'm doubting, are you red hot about holy living? Everybody wants to do right. All Christians want to do right. But are you red hot, I wonder? Some young people here today, you love the Lord, 
but I wonder, are your habits the habits of the world? You're a Christian, but I wonder, you go out here and with the wildness and the lewdness, the necking, the petting promiscuously of barnyard animals, and you're Christians, I wonder, would you say you're red hot about holy living? I wonder. I was in a revival service in Waterloo, Iowa, in the big Walnut Street Baptist Church, large church in Iowa, I suppose. And one night I preached on lukewarmness, and the girl at the piano came after the service was over and came weeping to me, and she said, Brother Ice, I ought to have come. Look at me. What kind of a Christian is this? I played for a dance last Saturday night, and then Sunday morning played the pipe organ in church. She said, What kind of a Christian is that? I think that's some sense to that, brother. I think there's some sense to that. And she said, I ought to have come tonight. I will tomorrow night, I promise you, I'll be the first one tomorrow night, she said. Well, the next night we had a great crowd and the power of God was there and the priest gave the invitation. And people started down the aisles before they quite stood up from the seats and the piano started. And she just gave about three or four chords on the piano and got up and run to be the first one here as she promised me and promised God. I ask you tonight, what kind of a Christian is that? Got the world and the church both. Yeah, got the, I talk like a Christian, smell like the devil's crowd. What kind of a Christian is that? Yes, I'm a Christian. I go to church and if it's not Lodge night. I'm uh, half in and half out. Good Lord and good devil. Milk and cider kind of Christian. Uh, now, do you think that pleases God? Are you red hot about Christian living? I'm going to tell a joke on myself. I was in revival service at, at Huntington, West Virginia. Scratch you felt led to singing. 13, 14, oh, let's see. Some churches cooperated. We had a lot of people saved in the Big East Huntington High School Auditorium. I remember that in that service one night, uh, uh, Pilgrim Holiness pastor came early and pulled me to the side, met me at the door and pulled me aside out in the dark. And he said to me, and his voice trembled, he said, Brother Rice, here's a bill. And he put something in my hand, the money, and said, this is very much. I don't have much income, but the Lord told me to give it to you. He said, Brother Rice, I've been so blessed for your ministry. And he said, the way you preach against sin and get Christians to clean up and start family altar and start to live and clean and try to win souls, he said, my heart's been so blessed and I thank God for it. Now, that's funny. Here's a man, you know, he's preaching the eradication of the carnal nature and I'm not. And he states his one way and I another. But, and you would think we're far apart as the poles, but one thing we had in common he wanted to be pure and good, and I did. And he preached against sin, and I preached against sin. He got Christians to clean up, and I got Christians to clean up. Now the joke part. He said to me, Brother Rice, he said, I believe you are sanctified and don't know it. <laughs> Go ahead and laugh. I know it's funny. I know I'm not sanctified in the sense that he meant. But I'm sure glad he saw the point I was trying to do right. I was trying to get Christians to do right. And I don't care what your doctrine is. If it doesn't make you want to be pure and good for God and out and out for God, I'm sorry for you. Yes, sir. Are you really red hot for holy living? I wonder. Listen, until you're kind of a nut and a fanatic and a fool, you're not much of a Christian. That's right. Not much good to God. We had one of the sort of Lord evangelists down in Missouri and revival service a little church. And he bore down on sin, had a good revival, but there was good deal of criticism. My son-in-law went there later. Chuck went down, Bill, to hold to have film services there. And the men out, some of the men of the church met and stood out under the trees and chewed tobacco and spit and talked a while um, before church time. And uh, 
that my son-in-law's there. And one old brother expressed the sentiment of most of them. They said, out there and chewed tobacco. And the evangelist had borne down on cleaning up and smelling right and living right and, and, uh, and make a change when you're saved. And so um, uh, he bore down. One old fellow shifted his tobacco cud to the other side of his mouth and he said, I tell you, he said, listen, fellas, he said, what's the matter with that young evangelist? I know what's the matter with him. He's a fanatic. That's what he is. He's a fanatic. And I say, God give us more fanatic. <laughs> yeah, I know you, you're for holy living, but are you a fanatic about it? Are you just on fire about it? Oh, God help us. Wait a minute. I wonder, are you lukewarm about another matter? Are you lukewarm, we'll say, about brotherly love? How much do you love other Christians? How much do you love Christians? Oh, you say, I love my people. Yes, I know. You love yours. But you remember Jesus said, you love them that love you. What thank have you? Do not even the publicans the same? I wonder, are you red hot in brotherly love? I wonder, do your heart just burn within you for Christian people anywhere, do you? Or do you love your own crowd? Then what thank have you? You're no better than a publican. They love that crowd too. You go down to the tavern, all the beer drinkers, they like their bunch too. But do you love people because they love Jesus anywhere? Do you? That better be a good checkup for you, don't you think? Another, let me ask you, are you red hot about the Bible? Now, that wasn't the question you're thinking about. If I ask, how many believe the Bible? Yes, sir, everybody believes it, don't you? Yeah, believe the Bible. From cover to cover, don't you? And keep the cover shut. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I didn't ask you if you believed it. I'm not talking about that poor adulterated head of yours. I'm talking about your heart. I say, do you love the Bible? Are you red hot about the Bible? I wonder. You know, I think it's a disgrace in this country where the Bible's free. Everybody can own a copy. We're free to read it, free to talk it, free to preach it. It's an abomination and disgrace in this country that so few people ever even read the Bible through. Thank you for listening to the Classic Sermons podcast from PreachTheBible.org, a ministry of North Valley Baptist Church in Santa Clara, California. To listen to many more powerful sermons, visit our website, PreachTheBible.org. If you enjoy Christian music and programming, visit knvbc.com for Christian music you can trust.